0: Joining us on this edition of the Seacoast Sports Forum, Roger Brown from the Union Leader and the New Hampshire Football Report.com and also
1: the 603 Sports Podcast. And I don't know exactly how often I'll be doing it in the winter season because it's mostly football, baseball, but I think we can play, find plenty to talk about.
0: Well, first off, before we get too deep into anything, I want to ask you, how was your Thanksgiving?
1: Thanksgiving was good. Food and football.
0: Same here. Just a nice, quiet, Thanksgiving and, and uh, yeah, kickback, not uh, having to be on a schedule and uh, having the bird in the oven and on this, on the table at a certain time, it was just like kickback. We did it when we did it and it got done.
1: <laughs> That's the best thing. <laughs>
0: and and then, then we had to wrap up the weekend with, with a championship football game uh, Saturday at William Ball stadium, uh, Bedford Bulldogs hosting the Londonderry Lancers. First question I got for you. Were you surprised that those were the two teams that were in the championship game?
1: No, nope. That's what I expected. Not that it was a sure thing by any stretch, but, um, you know, I felt like those were going to be the two all along. Once I saw the pairings, um, I thought Pinkerton had a chance against Legendary, So that would have been a possibility. I wouldn't have been shocked if Pinkerton got there either, but, um, I actually thought all four games, all four championship games this year, were going to be the same teams that played last year. And we came close. Uh, you know, Plymouth uh, upsets Howe get to get into the D2 title game. But other than that, they were all the same. So, so no, not surprised is, is the short answer, I guess.
0: So, the Bedford Bulldogs are the champions of Division One. They uh, took out the London Dairy Lancers in that championship contest, finals 28-8. to 8. Um, I guess there was a couple of things I wanted to ask you about. Bedford was seeded third in the tourney based on their strength of schedule, because all the, the major teams, all three of the top seeds were undefeated in in their respective regular seasons. Um, so did that give them some inspiration to prove, Hey, we're tougher than we should have had a better seed or whatever.
1: I don't know if I think so, because they were talking about, uh, you know, how sometimes teams create this false narrative And I kept hearing, like, oh, we haven't played anybody, blah, blah, blah. And I don't know anybody that wrote that. You know, I certainly didn't. I just explained to people why they were the third seed as such a dominant team. You know, that it was because their schedule was a little bit weaker than uh, the other two. Nothing they can do about that. You just play the teams in front of you. But they seemed to take it as, uh, like, everybody were. uh, Even when I went to the press box at halftime of the game, I had a parent grab me. Roger, have we played anybody yet? You know, sarcastically. I'm (laughs) just trying to answer the questions as they were posed, you know. So, yeah, probably they did. Um, I don't think they needed that motivation. They were – I think, you know, we all or a lot of people thought they were a couple touchdowns better than everybody else this year, and and that turned out to be the case.
0: So they were defending their championship in the third third hole, third seed. Uh, They had two good teams uh, that had – Again, undefeated seasons ahead of them, Pinkerton, and uh, also the uh, Portsmouth Oyster River Clipper Cats. Um, Londonderry, being fourth seed, kind of surprised people with their four-quarterback setup. Uh, Let's go back to the championship game. It didn't seem to be much of a factor in that game. Uh, They tried it in the first quarter. They got a couple of interceptions, which uh, led to that eight points. Uh, but beyond that, I think Bedford had their number. Is that what your take was?
1: Oh yeah, clearly. Londonderry couldn't do anything on offense, um, which was surprising to me. I thought they would be able to, you know, move the ball Exeter style at least, you know, um short gains with the with the run game. They weren't a passing team, Londonderry. I'm talking about this year anyways, regardless of who was the quarterback. But the, that Bedford defensive line, which we all knew was very good, it's most of the kids that were there last year as well, just uh, completely dominated the game. Um,
0: uh, and the Bulldogs had uh, their senior quarterback, and he is a senior, right, Danny Black? Yep,
1: yep, very good
0: yep. Uh, and, quarterback. Very active. Uh, he had a shaky, very good, but it's had a shaky first quarter. But after that, it, it was lockdown time. And then, he, of course, he went to his back, and that uh, sophomore, Helton, Oh man, this kid is, is, is a beast.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, he was going to be tough. And actually I thought London did a decent job with him considering how good he is and their running game is, but he did break that one off uh, late for a touchdown. I think it was 45 yards to kind of pad the stats, but yeah, he was effective, you know, when he had to be, Um, well, they have other guys too, you know, like the Jack Risso guy. Uh, You know, I went to, uh, you know, as my son uh, Nick played uh, as a sophomore and we, was a JV game at Bedford. I'll never forget this. It was a kid who stood out for Bedford, a running back. Just looked like a man amongst boys, like a varsity kid playing JVs that year. This was two years ago, or yeah, two years ago, I guess. Um, and he was kind of like their lead running back last year. He doesn't even get the ball. I, I didn't even see him on offense this year, huh. just because of this wow. Elton kid is so good. And the 32, Jack Risso, I don't know where he came from, but he was, he came up with some big runs. So, um, certainly had plenty of depth on that, uh, Bedford offense. They could do it in a lot of different ways. And,
0: uh, well, they went up back to back. Have they got a a quarterback that can lead them to a third one next year, along with Helton and, and those pieces that you've already talked about? Yeah.
1: They're deep at quarterback. They have the coach's son is a quarterback. Um, He's eligible to come back. He's a lacrosse player. Some talk about him maybe going to a prep school. I don't know how true that is. But, they yeah, they have two other ones that are very good. So, you know, they're certainly not going to have the team they had this year, I don't think. But they have some pieces to build around for sure.
0: And then Londonderry, now, again, they came in as a fourth seed um, they probably had a bit of a chip on their shoulder figuring, you know, they, they did have a couple of losses uh, or was it one loss or yeah. two losses during just, the just season? One.
1: They lost to just one. To
0: yeah. um, so they had something to prove. And, and, and in the playoffs, they, they were taking people out. They took our Exeter Blue Hawks out handily. Um, but the, going back to their quarterback situation, do you see uh, Jimmy Lozon continuing to do that four man rotation or, or maybe just locking it down to one or two guys?
1: Well, I think he's losing his two guys, two of the four, so but he's got two good ones coming back. So I wouldn't be surprised if he went with two. That's for sure. Um you know, he's got two juniors now who uh got some seasoning if nothing else and they'll be seniors next year. So uh, I don't know if he'll go with four, but uh that was a little unusual, but it wouldn't surprise me if he sticks with two. Um and I would say, you know, they, between the two teams, uh, again, I don't know Bedford's younger uh, personnel that well, but Londonderry should be right back in the picture. They're going to be very good. Maybe the preseason favorite.
0: And and from the Seacoast, the, the team that I I considered a surprise, uh, the Portsmouth Clippercats. Um, sorry, I mis mispronounced Portsmouth Oyster River Clippercats. Cats. Um, they seem to be a, uh, a Cinderella team to me this year. It, it, was that the case or, or, or is, are they the real deal? Will they be back again?
1: Oh boy. I don't know if they're going to be back to the degree they were this year. Sure. But you know, one thing that helps them is when you have a successful season like that, uh, you know, kids see that and all of a sudden a lot of them want to be a part of it. You know, again, for example, Bedford, their wide receiver, um, Dylan Soden, he, I think he caught, uh, I forget which touchdown, but he caught a touchdown pass Saturday he did not play last year. You know, he focused on basketball, but then he saw all his buddies having fun with football, won a title, decided to come out. So maybe, you know, there's tons of athletes in that Portsmouth school, certainly basketball players, maybe they'll get a few out, but they do lose a lot, you know, but everybody's in the same boat. You know, you can't keep guys forever. You know, you gotta, usually when you're good like that, you graduate a lot of seniors and, um, you know, um, Portsmouth, uh, to be honest with you, they were about as impressive as anybody I saw all year. And um, you know, they got obviously some. They lose their two linebackers, or at least one of them, I think. And uh, um, Brooks Connors is back. He was kind of like the heart and soul of the team. So they'll have some pieces to build around, but you know, it's it's tough to repl- to replace uh, a large senior class that's as talented as theirs was.
0: And again, the other teams here in the Seacoast, Blue Hawks, obviously from Exeter, and then you got the Dover Green Wave, you got the Winnipeg of kind of Warriors. Am uh, I leaving somebody out? balding uh, if you count them. Smalling, yeah, the Red Raiders. So of the, of those teams, and even the Timberlane, we'll, we'll include them. Blasto's part of this neck of the woods. Uh-huh. Uh, of of those teams, do you see uh, you know anybody jumping up to the top of the pack next year, or is it going to be status quo and see what happens, or what?
1: Um, well, I would say Exeter's got a chance to be better than they were this year for sure, which is saying something they won seven games, uh, you know. Um, but I just thought that they replaced so much from two years ago and they were so green going into the year. Uh, not that they weren't talented, but not a lot of uh varsity experience returning and uh, least really significant starters and things like that. But next year will be a different story. Um so, yeah, I could see them uh, moving up a rung on the ladder for sure next season. What about
0: Winnicott? They'll be better.
1: Definitely better. You know, they got hurt when the Connors kid transferred to Portsmouth. Um, so, I again, I don't know his situation, if he's staying in Portsmouth or what's happening there, but if he ever found his way back to Winnicott, that would certainly help. But, mm-hmm. you know, they had a I think they were undefeated as freshmen, so they got kids coming up. You know, we'll see you know you know how they are they're they bought them out and then they're better and then they're really good and beat everybody you know that's just the worst. right right
0: and over in Dover the green wave i mean they always seem to reload so uh, potential there for next season as well
1: i don't know about dover as much i'm not as familiar with their um, underclassmen i know um they are again they're losing some of their key seniors carberry the tight end Aubin, the quarterback um They're taking quite a hit. You know, I think they thought this year was going to be their year that that they could do something and uh, kind of had a disappointing finish to the season. Um, So they may, you know, maybe take a step back next season, but I'd have to take a look at their, their younger crew, but they're losing a lot of their key people for sure.
0: Okay. Well, it's early. Obviously we're just finishing up the season and and, uh, some of the coaching staffs are already getting in gear for next year. I know, uh, uh, Bill Ball's staff uh, gives the kids a few weeks off just to kind of take a breather. But basically, they're in the they're in the weight room and whatever conditioning all season long. Oh, yeah.
1: You have to be. You know, the teams that don't do that are the teams that don't win the, the right. day and age. It's right. just a fat, yeah. you know,
0: it is. It is. A, it is a, a state of mind playing playing the game nowadays, too. I just want to review uh, what happened in the other divisions because there were other champions. Uh, in Division II, uh, Pelham Pythons with a win over the Plymouth Bobcats. Uh, the final there was 35-6, to six, and that is a three-peat or a four-peat for them.
1: Four for Pelham, two in Division Three, and two in Division 2 They've won 41 games in a row, which best I can figure was fifth in the country Um at the time they won the championship. It may be a little higher now. I'd have to check and see how those other teams are doing, but yeah. Fifth longest streak in the country. I think they were tied with a team from New York.
0: Wow. Well, wow. Division three, it was uh, Trinity, a number two seed taking out Campbell for the title 42 to 12, uh, anything on Trinity you want to say?
1: Um, just that they were hitting on all cylinders. I was at that game, um. And uh they're moving up to Division Two, and I think that's probably where they belong.
0: And then in Division Four, the championship went to the Hilltoppers from Somersworth, 21 to seven over Newport. Um, and that was a, a repeat, correct?
1: Yeah. Summersworth beat Newport last year as well. Uh, I think that's three in a row for Summersworth. They're also moving up, as is Newport, to Division Three. So we should have a much more competitive uh division three next season, even though Trinity's leaving. Um, was kind of banged up for that game, which was unfortunate. Uh, they beat Summersworth in the regular season, but, uh, good effort by both teams there.
0: Now some people view you as a contrarian, (laughs) not me. You're kidding. No, I think you, I I like to think that you think out of the box, which I like, see, I like people who, who who like to put a spin on stuff. Now I got a couple of things I want to throw at you. Um, Let's start off with the, uh, the playoffs. Obviously, one thing that you've been a proponent of for a long time now is getting all these championship games back in a central location. It doesn't look like that's going to happen in the foreseeable future, but it was nice when it happened, correct? You're, you're a big proponent of that.
1: Yeah, I, I thought it was healthy for football. Um, I've never understood why they always had the championship games on the same day at the same time. You know, I mean, football fans would like to see some other games. And I understand with the four divisions now, you know, this is when they were all at UNH, there was three divisions. Four makes it tough because those smaller divisions play fewer games. But if they're happy at Laconia, which is a terrific venue, you know, I don't see why we can't have Division 1 and 2 at UNH, maybe, if they're on the same day. You know, I don't know what the schedule looks like for next year. Um, all the other sports play at you know the same day, like baseball's at Fisher Cat Stadium, um hockey, SNHU arena. I, I don't know why football doesn't get the same respect, and uh, certainly Exeter' is a great facility. I mean, if you can't play it, you know, or if you have to play it at a high school facility, that's the best one. there are Nashua, so I'm not complaining about that. I just think it would be a little extra special uh, to move it back to UNH and, I can't speak for the Division Two coaches, but I don't know of any Division One coach that doesn't want to move back there. You know, they all seem to. So I don't know why.
0: I think I agree. It was, not, I, you know, we Sam Bruno and yours truly were at UNH for several years doing it, and it, I thought it was it was great to have that central location. Uh, but you're you're right, and I, I want to just say kudos to the to the uh, staff at uh, William Ball Stadium, Exeter High School, uh, for you know pulling things together for the different state tournaments uh, for the NHIAA. Uh, they they got everything coordinated. I know I'm part of it, so I'm kind of prejudiced, but I think that, uh, you know, it, it would be nice to be in a big venue for all these teams, but uh, I guess I guess you, you do what you got to do and, and it gets done. That's all that matters.
1: It's, I mean, it's not a bad situation now. I just think it could be improved. And like, I, I was at the D2 and the D3 championship games and those crowds were good. I wouldn't call it, Anything close to what we saw at Exeter, though. And I just think that if you had multiple games at the same site, the atmosphere might be better. You know, I keep hearing atmosphere, atmosphere, atmosphere. Well, let's do what we can to create the best atmosphere then. And uh, I think that would be a step forward.
0: You know, two other notes I just want to touch on. Um, uh, Somebody put a bug in my ear saying that uh, it's possible Coach Ball might think about doing a Thanksgiving Exeter winner kind of Rivalry game uh, for the holiday. We'll we'll see if that happens. I think the problem is now because the way the schedule is set up, it actually the season ends after Thanksgiving. Um, so it could that could be kind of a, a problem. Now, one thing you've been a big proponent of is the preseason jamboree, similar to what they do up in Manchester. Uh, uh, now that I love that idea and maybe doing it for charity. Uh, for the attendance, uh, you know, attendees would pay towards a charitable cause. Uh, run that by me again. I like that idea. I'm, I want to keep running that one up the flagpole.
1: Yeah. I, um, I actually reached out to the Portsmouth coach a couple of years ago about this. Cause you know, the Jamborees used to be a little bit more prevalent than they are now. And, The one in Manchester, although still very good, uh, a lot of the better teams don't go there for whatever reason. And I just thought a seacoast jamboree would make sense. We used to have one at Spalding, but my idea was four New Hampshire teams or however many you want against four teams from Southern Maine, which would not be hard at all. You know, you got so many teams from Portland down and you could match them up. So it's competitive. And, um, particularly with Maine playing New Hampshire and so many regular season games, you know, and I, whatever, $5 donation. And you could give it to the booster clubs from each team that participates, or you could keep some of it and give some to, you know, whatever charity of your choice. I think at that time of the year, late summer, uh, people are just starving for football if you've got eight teams there, you know, it, it would be the equivalent of probably playing two games maybe because you play a half each. I just right. think you a place like Portsmouth, you would pack it. And uh, I just think it would be a terrific night. Or, you know, Winneconne could do it. I don't know that Exeter would want to do it, but um, even St. Thomas, a facility like that would be fine. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. you know, um, I think Portsmouth's the ideal place just because of the location if you're going to do Maine, New Hampshire.
0: I, I'm all for it. And uh, we'll keep, we'll keep running on that flag. Like I say, up the flagpole and see if we can get somebody to, to take and, uh, and take it on because it seems like a no brainer just, and and we got so many competitive teams here in the Seacoast area, you know, just to have the kids go do a tune up and do it for a charitable organization or a cause.
1: Yeah, and I, 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 I like and the any, idea of bringing main teams in. Cause I just think it's more interesting when you're playing teams you're not familiar yeah. with and, and the Seacoast teams play each other. So you play them mm-hmm. necessarily in the scrimmage. So if you, you know, you line up Marshwood versus Portsmouth, they used to play anyways in a preseason scrimmage. So that's easy enough. And then I don't know, you just got so many other teams that uh, are within 45 minute drive that I'm sure they'd be glad to come down. But even if you had to use New Hampshire teams from other parts of the state, that would be fine too. Well, one other thing I wanted
0: to ask you about and, and, and your opinion of, um, and maybe you, you've got knowledge uh, about it. I, next year, now seeing how the the, the uh, uh, tournament brackets came out and it wasn't a controversy, I don't think, but like I say, Bedford their weight of schedule didn't, you know, give them a higher seed. Uh, how, how, is there a way that we could get those teams that are involved in the tournament to play each other so that we don't have that issue coming up again so that an Exeter would play a Bedford. And, and not, you know, miss them for a season or two or whatever.
1: Yeah, you could do it. I mean, we had that system in place uh, about as best as we could, uh, pr- you know, prior to these last two years. Um, you know, you couldn't play all 20 teams, obviously, but if you st- back when we had 20 teams, if you just did, like, east and the west, you could at least play everybody in the east if that's where you were or everybody in the west so that it could be – Everything would be based on your win loss record. You know what I'm saying, right. rather than the right. formula. So if you if you be Bedford, you'd be ahead of Bedford. You know if you had the same record and whatnot. And that was that was ideal. And then when we got the 21st team, that kind of screwed everything up in terms of uh, you know this potential for a lot of strange things happening, so to speak. You know
0: is that is that going to change next year? Are they going to drop a team down or bring a team up or?
1: I don't think so. That would be no. make too much
0: sense, Sherm. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I want to take and shift gears to the uh, college level. And uh, well, the UNH Wildcats ended their season on a winning note, they kept the musket, the Bryce Cowell musket at uh, UNH in the Granite State for another year, um, ended the season for a bunch of seniors, uh, talented guys, in particular Dylan Lowby, who didn't play in that game because he had been dinged up in the Monmouth game the week before. Uh, but got big recognition. Well, I guess the surprise was the quarterback uh, was announced uh, that Max Brosmer. We we're kind of looking forward to him coming back for one more season to be at the helm. Uh, he's in the portal. So, does it look like he is going to be around at UNH next year, or what?
1: Oh, that's a good question, Sherm. Um, You know, I know he's got at least three offers since entering the portal. Um, one from the university of Minnesota, which has got to be attractive to him. I would think going to 10 for yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so I really don't know, you know, they, I tried to call the other day and he's not, um, doesn't want to talk to the media until after he makes his decision. So I can't give you any insight on that. I did find it funny. I was watching ESPN yesterday and they had all the quarterbacks who are in the transfer portal, you know, like you guys from Mississippi state and Duke and what have you. Not sure who the announcer or the the analyst was, but they asked him to pick the top three quarterbacks in the portal. Brosmer was number one. Wow. He wasn't even on the TV screen. You know, they had all <laughs> FBS guys. They had all these highlights of UNH. So, wow. um, you know, that didn't help UNH's cause there, I don't think, mm-hmm. in terms of keeping him. But they've got, you know, Dylan Ruiz is in the portal as well. Uh Nate Capongo's in the portal. I believe the the underclassmen just became eligible to enter the portal. So, you know, Brosmer being a graduate student, he could enter early. So, you know, hopefully we don't see too many more uh, into the portal, but it's just starting, believe it or not, even though it seems like everybody's in there.
0: Well, I, I mentioned this in the last podcast that I think that's one thing where Rick Santos uh, and his crew are going to have to do some uh fishing in in that portal for obviously some defensive line guys, offensive line guys and backs, whatever, because that was their weak spot until the final game of the season. Everything seemed to be a shootout uh, because of i in the backfield and and Brosmer. Um, I just kind of like that tandem. If that's not there next year, just could be interesting.
1: Yeah. I think they need defense myself. You know, I think the quarterback situation will still be okay. I think they're okay at running back, but, you know, the defense wasn't the strength. And if they're losing, you know, I just mentioned two defensive linemen who were in the portal. So, plus what else they're losing, you know, to me, that's where the focus needs to be. But again, you don't know what you're losing yet. You know, you may lose a bunch more guys, a bunch of offensive linemen or whoever. So that's, that's just another element to coaching these days. It didn't used to be there. You know, you don't know who's leaving,
0: well, that's it. I mean, you gotta have an offensive line that can keep the quarterback, whoever it is, Brosmer or whoever, from being on his butt. And then you gotta obviously have the defense to keep the keep the shootout element away. I mean, it's great, we can score forty-five points a game, but you don't wanna give up forty-two or forty-seven.
1: <laughs> right. And you used to know what you needed, right? You used to yeah. say, Okay, well, we're graduating these three seniors defensive backs, so that's where we gotta recruit. But this now, after every season, you could lose guys at any position.
0: Two-minute drill time, sir. Anything you want to throw on the table?
1: Oh, just uh, I just briefly, I think uh, a couple of kids to play at Phillips Exeter, Ethan Moss, who was an Exeter High kid, and Jake Fredericks, who played at Winnicott. And I believe – I'm not sure how the prep schools do their uh, postseason awards, but I know they made uh, – they both made some sort of all-league all team um, for the league that PEA is in. So, you know, good to – you know. Good to see some local kids uh, contributing at Phillips Exeter, and, and uh, not just contributing but excelling. So,
0: I wanted to ask you about the Yukika uh, winner. Tell us, uh, tell us, tell us who uh, won won that title.
1: Uh, that was that came down to three three players: um, JJ Bright from Hegan, Ty Miles uh, from Londonderry, and Caden Micho from Pickerton. And uh, JJ Bright was the winner. The other two actually tied for second place, um, so JJ uh, he'll be honored by the Yukika Foundation, and uh, you know I think it was um, I think it's a good award. It's it's for an NHIA player only. We we haven't had that in the past. I think we're the only state that doesn't give out an award, or, or now we do, but we we hadn't until this year. Um, and I think he's, you know, in some ways, it's good to see a non-Division 1 player win it because I think a lot of people thought it would just be dominated by Division 1. So right out of the shoot, we got a D2 kid winning it. And, um, yeah, I think it's a positive for football in the state. Amen, so, yeah.
0: And, and this was coaches that voted on this, correct?
1: Every head coach got a vote. And I'm going to say, I'm guessing, like, 15 media members statewide. They tried to get a um, – you know, not a concentrated like seacoast group of media members, but you know right. people from Keene and Lebanon and what have you conquered, Nashua. So I think overall there was about eighty people voting, roughly, uh, or had a vote, I should say. And uh, yeah, I think there was there was ten people on the ballot, ten players on the ballot, and I believe eight or nine of them all received first place votes. So. You know, it seemed to be a very – the Ukeka committee did a good job of at least whittling it down to 10 and giving people the right uh, players to vote for.
0: Well, this is the first of many, and uh, I'm glad you uh, have been a big proponent of this, and uh, it it came to fruition. That's a good thing.
1: Got the trophy in my closet right now. It's heavy as heck, Sure, Got to be honest.
0: (laughs) it's not one of those plastic jobs it's a no, real no, deal
1: no, a great <laughs> trophy. it's not one that the it'll probably stay prominently displayed because it's too heavy to move once you set it up
0: so. <laughs> i love it i mean you know for my two-minute drill i just want to bring up something that and you and i had discussed it uh, briefly prior to recording the show today uh you know one thing i was hoping that maybe we could see here uh in the uh here in the seacoast uh uh, and, and I'll start with the Blue Hawks like an Exeter Blue Hawk Hall of Fame. I want to give kudos to Sandy Parks uh who is a big proponent of the Alumni Association. A few years back she did a, a Night of Champions where she brought the legends of of Blue Hawk sports uh on the stage at the auditorium and and it was really a fun night and they had some uh, highlight pictures of, and, and movies, uh, some that her dad had taken on the fields of, over the various sports in and decades, and that was really fun, and I thought, you know, we ought to really start that up, uh, a Blue Hawk Hall of Fame, and uh, I, I'm going to run that flag up the pole, we'll see how far it goes, the other thing I, I uh, <laughs> will do, if that doesn't go, we'll start a Seacoast Sports Forum Hall of Fame and and that will be a, more, a little more difficult because it will have to involve a lot of different people and a lot of different towns and cities in, in the area. The the whole point is I know it's hard especially since you know decades have gone by and, and years have gone by but you know you can go back and I got a buddy that loves doing stats and things like that go back through the old clippings uh, and find some of these names of the past and and a, even if it's just a plaque with their name on it, I mean, it's just something to acknowledge some of these guys and gals that uh, you know done great things for uh, sports here in the Seacoast.
1: Oh, I'm actually, Sherman, sure. it's a great idea. To be honest with you, it should be done. And and
0: you can and do go back to your thought earlier about the the preseason jamboree for charity. This is something you could have a once a year event or once every couple of years and have a, a night of champions and, and do it for charity and, uh, you know, have, have some fun, just have some of these people get acknowledged for their coaches. Who we, we, you know uh, that, you know, kind of are there and, and fade away. Well, don't let them fade away. Let you know, let them have uh, one more, at least one more shot in the limelight.
1: Well, and then it, your, your point is well taken because you got, you got to do it sooner rather than later because some of these people who are in the hall of fame or, or deserving to be in the hall of fame, if you wait too long, people won't know about them. You know what I mean? You'll skip so many generations and uh, you don't want to leave them out, you know? Um,
0: All right, Roger, this is going to be an assignment I'm going to give you. It has nothing to do with uh, either the union leader or the New Hampshire football report or the baseball site or 603 podcast. You got to, you got to help me run this flag up the pole and we'll see how we can do it. We'll uh, we'll talk to the, the powers to be, we'll start with the Exeter. Group And if and if we have to we'll go with the Seacoast Sports Forum type thing, we'll, we'll we'll come up with something.
1: I think you're the guy to get it done, Sherm. You, you can do it. I'm happy to help, but I think you are the man.
0: Oh, I appreciate that. So on behalf of Roger Brown from the Union Leader, New Hampshire com, and don't forget about the 603 Sports Podcast, this is Sherm Chester
1: inviting you to join us for the next edition of the Seacoast Sports Forum Podcast.